0: Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate, Liz Hansley.
1: And I'm child psychiatrist and Adelaide fringe performer, Dr. Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids in today's screen-centric world, and we really want to help. So what have we got lined up for this episode, Liz?
0: Today on the show, you're going to hear a review of Happy Feet, and Kim and I will be shooting the breeze about a recent report from the Australian House Standing Committee on Social Policy and Legal Affairs called You Win Some, You Lose More. But first up, we've got...
1: Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out, demystify it to help you make better decisions about screens and your family. Today, we're discussing some research out of Hong Kong about internet gaming disorder, how your parents' uh, gaming and how your friends' gaming may influence your own addiction to video games. So, stay tuned.
0: As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of China about internet addiction and social support. Kim, why'd they do this research?
1: Well, essentially, they found that during the COVID pandemic, guess what? More kids became addicted to video games and it's a massive problem in places like China and more specifically in Hong Kong where they surveyed you know over 2000 high school kids from different high schools within Hong Kong
0: it's a big sample isn't it 2000 yeah so that obviously what they found would have some weight so what did they find
1: what they found out is that your parents own video gaming experiences and amount of time they spent playing video games could directly or indirectly affect your gaming addiction And also, your friends' video gaming um, can also influence Mm. the amount of time you spend. So, this week, I got a request to speak to a school. Mm -hmm. The teacher said, all the boys are just chatting online in Discord chats and playing video games late at night. Mm. And they don't care who tells them what to do. If they're not in their group chatting, they don't care about you. They They don't want anything to know about you. So... It's really coming back to the whole idea of in your teenage years, you care more about your friendship circles, Mm. your sense of identity. That's
0: normal, isn't it? It's just part of growing up. We all went through that, didn't we? Yeah.
1: And and move away from what our parents do. Mm. And uh, the social influences become Mm. a real massive factor in whether you become addicted to video games or not.
2: Mm.
0: Right. So was anything surprising about that finding? did it fit with what you already knew?
1: I think really too surprising? Mm-hmm. Fits in pretty well. I guess um it's always um interesting to see what data is coming out with regards to the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. People being locked indoors. I mean, in Hong Kong, I think they 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 had one of the sort of first lockdowns, I think. Mm. Uh and people couldn't meet each other face to face, do the usual social things meet at restaurants, you know, play sports, Mm. stuck at home, Mm -hmm. online learning.
0: Yeah. And it's just a click away becomes an even bigger part of your life and and totally understandably, of course, but um, you've got to then think about, well, what are the flow on effects, especially when you're talking about a developing brain? Yeah. So... I guess with the finding, is it likely to affect your practice as a psychiatrist? You've just said how even just talking to to groups, you know these sorts of issues come up, but I suppose it come up in your practice as well.
1: yeah, look, I think um it's not something that I routinely ask normally, if parents will volunteer, whether they are gamers mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. i obviously ask about their relationship with their parents often mm-hmm. um, but I think nowadays, as the generational changes happen within parents, you know we've got. People like myself who grew up playing video games, Mm, yeah, now having kids, how does that affect our children if they see us playing video games and staying up late or checking our emails at the dinner table? Mm -hmm. Again, same old (laughs) message that a lot of our own behaviours get role modelled and normalised with our kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that. The question of how it can inform parenting or caring for children we've already more or less answered that haven't we like think about your own media use and screen use and um and how that's going to be influencing the way that your kids see it it's always an interesting question to me though because certainly my own childhood involved quite a lot of rebellion against what my parents did and um really sure (laughs) That's a normal part of growing up too, isn't it? And uh, so there were things where if my parents did something one way, then I had to do it the other way or whatever. But over time, I can also see how I just absorbed a lot of their values and their you know the things that they enjoyed doing. I also enjoy doing and, and that sort of stuff. So I think maybe parents need to think about that in their own lives. Just how much did you rebel against and and how long did that last for? And then you know how much of your parents' way of looking at the world did you take on and how long did that last for? And I'd be willing to bet with a lot of people the latter would be longer.
1: Professor Liz, rebellious. (laughs) I can't imagine that. I mean, I I guess there is some good rebellion. Like, give us an example.
0: Well, you know, for all you know, my parents were massive anti-intellectuals and they were totally ashamed that their daughter went on to... (laughs) Just study and become a professor. No, they weren't. (laughs) They they were very proud of that. Um, Well, look, I hate to admit this on the podcast, but I smoked. I started smoking when I was 12. And, um, you know, my father was a big, serious anti-smoker. And my mother had smoked when she was younger, but, you know, she was not on board with it either. And it was something that I totally hid from them. And officially, they didn't know about it. And any time that they did accidentally notice it, it would be there'd be trouble anyway so that was one thing that you know thanks I... for sharing
1: that because it's amazing how you know it's so long ago but you're still that vulnerability comes out yeah
0: huh? well it was a long time ago mm. absolutely and, and your I...
1: radio voice could be so different could be like peter Gers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway i gave up after 20 years and and that's wow. a pretty shocking thing to me you know to think i smoked from the age of 12 to 32 but yeah i did
1: one of the hardest things to quit yeah
0: it, it was really hard and I had tried a few times and it, finally it worked and I'm so glad it did and do I have to belatedly admit that my parents were right yeah well <laughs> yes but look it's another interesting thing that comes across my mind quite a lot when we talk about these things you know internet addiction and, and social media addiction and screen addiction and so on because yeah I had an addiction as a teenager which was to nicotine, and there was just no way of talking about it, no way of getting help with mm. it. You know, The expectation was, you're not allowed to smoke, just don't do it. Yeah. And that was just so ineffective. And I guess growing up and getting some perspective on that helped me as a parent, really, you know, yes. because it, it enabled me to, if there was ev- you know, my children are both perfect angels, of course, but um, you know, if there was ever a situation where they'd be doing something or wanting to do something I, that I thought wasn't a good idea, I'd be able to have a proper conversation with them about Uh it rather than, no, don't do that. It's like what we've talked about before, the difference between authoritarian and authoritative. And I guess, you know, my parents were mostly authoritative, but they did have moments of authoritarianism as well. And I guess a lot of us do, you know, you have those moments when you just want to put your foot down and say, no, this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the main thing I guess is to be conscious in your own mind of what you're doing and why and, How long you want to keep doing it for, maybe. (laughs) Whether you want to change the conversation up. So, yeah, lots of challenges, aren't there?
1: Yeah. I actually just came from the Life Ed Conference and there was someone talking about vaping. Right. And it comes back to this, actually. Yeah. So, obviously, you can be influenced if your friends give you a vape. But also, if you see people vaping, some kids, they think, oh, if I see some people vaping, then everyone must be vaping. Mm Mm-hmm. But where in fact it's only a few people who are actually mm. vaping, and that can actually, I guess, influence direct, yeah. indirectly, yeah. a child's um, views and decisions.
0: Yeah, there's quite a lot of discussion about vaping these days, isn't there? It really seems to be a, a big issue. Massive. Yeah. Well, I guess that's probably all we need to say about that for now. So thanks for the chat, Kim, and we'll move on to the next segment. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about the influence of children's peers on their attitudes to gaming. The paper was by Sin Wang, Qian Li, Samuel Yongshan Wong and Xue Yang. And the title is Whether and how parental and friends' internet gaming behaviours may affect adolescent internet gaming disorder symptoms, the cognitive and behavioural mechanisms. It was published in the journal International Journal of Mental Health and Addiction. Full details in the show notes. Now it's time for our movie review, and Mike is going to tell us why Happy Feet 2 is recommended for ages 8 and up.
2: Hi, I'm Mike Wolke, and I'm here with some information from the CMA review of Happy Feet 2. I'll tell you what the movie is about, and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children 8 and up, as well as some suggestions for things in the movie you might want to discuss with your kids. In Happy Feet 2, a young emperor penguin named Eric is scared to dance with the other penguins because he thinks that he will embarrass himself. Eric's father, Mumble, manages to persuade him to give it a try. But that is just what happens, and feeling that he doesn't fit in, Eric runs away. Eric meets the mighty Sven, a penguin who can fly. Eric is in awe of Sven and believes that he will be able to do anything if he really tries, Meanwhile, Mumble has gone to look for Eric, and while he is away from the rest of the colony and his wife Gloria, a massive ice shelf slips into the ocean, separating them and cutting off the Emperor Penguin colony from their food supply. Mumble finds Eric, and on the journey back they meet a rather aggressive elephant seal named Brian the Beachmaster, who falls down a deep crevice, leaving his two very sad babies calling helplessly to him. Mumble manages to free Brian, who later returns a favor by helping to bridge the gap back to the remaining penguins. There is some violence between animals in this movie. For example, the penguins are attacked by large polar bears and by aggressive scuba birds. There are also scenes that might frighten or disturb children under eight, especially when the ice cracks and breaks off and large waves rise up in the ocean, scaring all of the animals. Happy Feet 2 is a beautifully made animated film which is really enhanced by 3D effects. The story is a bit hard to follow at times, particularly for young viewers. The music and dancing will appeal to older children. The main messages from this movie are the impact of global warming on the environment and also the importance of discovering one's own talents and uniqueness. Values in this movie that parents may wish to reinforce with their children include the importance of family and friends, kindness, and cooperation in helping others in difficulty. The movie could also give parents the opportunity to discuss what can happen when you don't listen to your parents, that running away from the problem won't solve it, and the stereotyping of characters such as a love-struck Mexican penguin and the laconic Australian beachmaster. Happy Feet 2 is available on a number of different streaming platforms, and the CMA reviewers recommend it for children 8 and up parental guidance for six- and seven-year-olds, for children under six, best to find another movie. You can find a more detailed review on the CMA website.
0: And when Mike talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab. Then you can sort the list or search by title, alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification, or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development, and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002, as well as selected M-rated movies and some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community, which is facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. Full details later on about how to keep in touch and give feedback.
1: And now it's time for our policy development of the day. Liz and I are going to have a chat about the Parliamentary Committee's recent recommendations on how to tighten up the regulation of gambling advertising. This Parliamentary Committee came out with a really huge report with 31 recommendations, which are of particular interest to families with children.
0: Well, gambling's a bit different because everything about gambling is relevant to family life. And that's because any harm from one person's gambling is usually felt by everybody around that person, and I think we all know that. However, thinking of children as media consumers, the recommendations about gambling advertising and gambling-like content in games are of most interest. The discussion of public education and information also pays specific attention to children and young people by looking at things like what kind of language and messaging needs to be used so that you can get through to children and young people, which is really encouraging that they were looking at it from that perspective and not thinking it's a one-size-fits-all situation. Anyway, today I think we should just focus on the advertising stuff and maybe we can come back in a future show and look at the content issues because they're really interesting as well.
1: So what recommendations did they make about gambling advertising, Liz?
0: Well, really strong. A lot of us were very pleasantly surprised about how strong the recommendations were. They basically recommended a staged prohibition on all forms of advertising for online gambling over three years. It'd start with the low-hanging fruit like inducement ads, ads on social media and online platforms... The exemption for news and current affairs and commercial radio during school drop off and pick up. But it's kind of interesting the hours that they nominate as uh, drop off and pick up assume that kids are being picked up straight after school finishes. So they're not really thinking kids are going to be in after school care or anything. But anyway, it's a start. That's good. The second phase would be the slightly trickier bits like online ads generally. And commentary on odds for an hour, either side of a sports broadcast, plus in stadia advertising, including on players' jerseys. So that's the second stage. Then stage three would extend the ban to all broadcasting between 6am and 10pm. And then stage four would fill in all the gaps that were left and extend it to sponsorship as well. There'd be a couple of exemptions, including dedicated racing channels and small community radio stations, which would get a partial reprieve or uh, for a length of time that it would work a bit slower on commercial radio sorry on community radio
1: I'm so glad that they're doing this Liz how many different types of marketing did the committee identify
0: well (laughs) the stages give you some idea that I just talked about so there's online and broadcast advertising but also in stadium uh, advertising or marketing and sponsorship itself so and as we say that what's on the jerseys are part of it But they mention more subtle kinds of marketing as well, like celebrity brand ambassadors and loyalty programs. I'm not sure the recommendation extends to these. It's not clear. So maybe it doesn't. But they certainly couldn't be promoted on any electronic medium, which would certainly count for a lot.
1: Why did they make such strong steps, Liz?
0: Well... The report talks at some length about how gambling advertising normalises gambling, makes it seem like it's intrinsic to enjoying any sport, and a lot of people are really quite concerned about that. A lot of Australians want their kids to grow up enjoying sport for its own sake and not because of odds or betting, and uh, that seems to be a game that we're losing at the moment. But actually, it goes even deeper than that. They talk about the gamblification of sport, which means that gambling gets to sort of bask in the healthy, innocent glow of sports people love. And even more insidious than this, it can foster the idea that gambling is like sport, a matter of skill. And you can see how that idea would really feed unhealthy attitudes to gambling. They also saw that a key objective of gambling marketing is to recruit new customers. It's not just to get them to switch gambling agencies, but to get them gambling in the first place. And like so much of this debate, it really reminds us of what happened with tobacco back when... I was young we still had tobacco advertising and there was a big debate over you know whether to ban it and one part of that debate was the tobacco companies saying oh we don't actually get anybody to start smoking through advertising we just get them to switch brands and that argument was ultimately debunked and rejected. But uh, you can see that same argument playing out here. And the committee is saying, no, nope, you know, you definitely recruit new customers this way. You're not just getting existing gamblers to move around the market. You're actually bringing new people in. And um, and that's a real concern. We we don't need a whole lot
1: of that. The same old playbook, Liz. The yeah, same old playbook. It sure is. History repeating itself. <laughs> yeah, it is. A general ban like they're proposing seems to protect the whole community. Is there anything special in there for children and young people?
0: Well, look, sort of, because children and young people are especially vulnerable for all the usual reasons that um, younger children can't even tell the difference between an ad and other kinds of content or they don't understand the selling intent behind advertising. They think that advertisers are just telling them this product's good because they want them to have a good product rather than that they want their money. So there's that usual stuff with all advertising, but we also know from specific research that gambling-related attitudes and behaviours are developed in the teenage years. So there's a real interest there. There's also been research showing that young people have a very high recall for gambling brands, and especially if they're fans of sport. So that adds to that vulnerability aspect. And it's true that other people need protection from advertising, especially those who are currently experiencing gambling harm, people who are in recovery. And gambling advertising really just ruins their enjoyment of sport, which seems really sad. They, they heard from people who are in recovery who just can't watch sport because they will be exposed to gambling ads, and that's really not what they need. So this you know lovely, healthy and happy making activity that is available to other Australians just isn't available to these people anymore, so you know there there are other vulnerabilities, not just children.
1: yeah, I never really sort of thought about it in that context mm. and how some people can get triggered by it. So, really important reason. Mm. Why have gambling and gambling ads become such a big thing in Australia?
0: Well, there's certainly been massive growth and really interesting statistics in the report. For example, since 2017, there's been a 40% increase in gambling advertising in primetime spots on Metropolitan Television. And there are also some really striking figures about increases in gambling ads during sports broadcasts. But I think most Australians, if they watch sport, they don't need to read the report to know that. I just, I talked to so many people who have really noticed this and are kind of going crazy over it. Why is it happening? Well, basically because there's a lot of money to be made. Just as always, follow the money. Australians are big gamblers and that's why there's so much money to be made out of this kind of thing. So it's interesting to me and I'd, I'd love to nut this out a bit more because... We're very clear that we don't want to be bombarded with ads for gambling, and yet we are big gamblers. So that is something worth thinking about. But anyway, it's definitely feeding into this phenomenon of this growth in advertising. Another thing that they note in the report is that the major football codes make money not just from sponsorship by gambling companies, but from every bet laid, proportion of that goes back to the major football codes so they are very dependent on this money as well that's an interesting part of the puzzle i think but also the regulatory settings for both gambling and advertising have been conducive to the growth that we've been seeing so i guess that's where we come in with saying let's do something about the regulatory settings and see if we can rein this in so Um, if
1: people don't like gambling advertising me included can't they just switch off the tv (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, look, you have to know it's there to know to switch it off. That kind of argument is one that really bothers me. And I know that you didn't mean to bother me in asking it. You were just being devil's advocate. That's fine. But, you know, we hear that so much in these debates about about children, what they get exposed to on screens. The problem is that you have to see it in order to know to switch it off. And by then you've seen it. So it, it's not a solution. If there's something that you don't want to see, You know, you shouldn't be required to see it unless there's a good reason, of course. But look, generally, it's a big ask on Australians to just stop watching sport. And that's when it comes to sport, especially, that's just not going to happen, you know, especially since it might be one of the last things many families actually do together. But that's a, a common activity that they can all enjoy together. So it's really asking a lot to tell people just to switch off the TV. And there's also a point of principle about TV stations who are licensed to use a public resource. And that's part of our regulatory structure, or has been in the past anyway, that they are required to use those airwaves, that public resource, to further the public interest. So it's completely contradictory to that to say, oh, yeah, but if we do something that you don't like, just switch it off. That doing things in the public interest means enabling the public to benefit from it and not saying, well, just go away if you don't like it. Plus, with other kinds of advertising, like online, for example, you have even less control over what you see or ability to predict what will come on when. Though I guess you couldn't avoid showing any interest in gambling. Maybe you won't get the ads in your social media feeds, because I certainly don't get them in my social media feeds. And I was tempted to just put the word gambling in a post to see what would happen, but I thought I'd regret it, so I left that.
1: No, I, I see it occasionally. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah I won't name them, but...
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's probably something to do with your age, you know, mm. that, that they would know what age you are and mm. and so figure, oh yeah, you know, this is a good demographic for gambling and yep. you know, I'm a different age and different sex obviously and so safe, yeah. by, apparently, but you know, maybe they're even listening into what we're talking about mm. now and we'll see if I start mm. getting ads. Yeah. Mm. What will
1: happen next now that the report is out?
0: Well, look. It needs to be remembered these reports are only recommendations. The government's not bound to do anything. And the government will make a response, which is the normal thing. The parliamentary committee comes out with recommendations and the government makes a response. And then they decide which bits they're going to legislate and or you know give money to or whatever is required. Uh, my assessment of the likelihood of them picking it up, I think the government's just got so much else on at the moment that, you know, maybe maybe it's the kind of thing where they would say, oh, this is one where, you know, this will be really popular and we'll we'll get a win and we can get everybody on board with this. But yeah, who knows what kind of opposition might come through other parties and so on. So it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I checked the website that tells you what the government response is just yesterday and there was no response as yet, but I'll put the link to that site in the show notes so that whenever you're listening to this podcast, you can go on and check to see if there's been a government response by then.
1: Oh, thanks, This is very uh, important.
0: Pleasure as always, Kim. Thanks.
1: Well, that's all we have time for today.
0: Yes, that's a wrap for episode 10. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch either through our Facebook page or you can email us at
1: outsidethescreampod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction on my website, cgiclinic.com, or even book an appointment for me to see your child.
0: Or if you really like us, you can help by becoming a subscriber on Substack. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing.
1: And finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And this This has has been been The Team team from Outside outside the screen.
0: Screen. See you next week.